Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. What is the difference between the manner in which sex addicts love versus the way non-sex addict healthy people love? Um, Great question. Um, Addicts, all addicts, not just sex addicts, but all of us, we don't love fully. We split our love into pieces. And most generally what sex and love, well, sex addicts in particular, what we love is our home having a home, having a family, having a foundation, that that is right there where we need it whenever we need it. But at the same time, we also love doing whatever it is we want to do, when we want to do it, and how we want to do it, because that is is where we run with our feelings and emotions. So basically, we do love our families. And how do I know this? Because most of the men and women who act out here will blame you. They'll be like, oh, well, my wife isn't this, my husband isn't that, and why are you nagging me, and blah, blah, blah. But the minute any of you partners take one step away from us, even an inch about talking about leaving, or boy, do we run after you. So what I know is we're deeply connected to you. It's just that we have to block it out to go do what we want to do. I mean, you can't actively be hurting someone and feel your love for them at the same time. So what we do is we devalue our relationships, we push away the family, we distance ourselves from the love in our heads, and we turn towards something else, sex, whatever that, and then when that's done, we run back to our home for the love. So home is really about, it's sort of like mom and dad, you know, that's, that's home, but how I... And, and life is split into pieces. So what I would say is they don't fully love you. They love you an equal part to being free and getting what they want to do, um, doing what they want to do. And the real question is what happens when one gets in the way of the other? And uh, this is when couples come get help is, I know I love this person, but I've ruined their life. Or you say you love me, but look what you did. And that's usually when people say, I need to get some help. And we're happy to help them. Okay, so the next question, Dr. Rob, is what is avoidance attachment style and how can I get past that and have healthy relationships? Well, okay, those are more than one question, I think. Um, I'm writing things down is yes. what I'm doing. Just so Avoidant you know. attachment style, what so, is it? So I don't know, if you're a therapist, then I fully believe that you probably understand all this and you're just asking the question in general. But if you're not a therapist and haven't studied this stuff, there's different ways of looking at what you're talking about. So some people are born distant, shy, uncomfortable with closeness. They're just born that way. That's a personality. You know, some people are born warm and can, you know, you just know from the time they're babies, some sleep through the night, some are difficult, you know? So on some level, some people are born who have a very difficult time bonding, connecting with parents, bonding, connect, because they're, they're just natively anxious or fearful or whatever. That's kind of avoidant attachment when early in life, two years, one year, six months, you notice that the child will tend to sit back rather than coming toward, that they will not be upset when they're alone, you know, that they're kind of more independent and they don't move toward you in the ways that a child who is as warm and engaged. So there are different attachment styles, by the way, they're ambivalent attachment where you sometimes, you know, but adults, we don't generally talk about 
the 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 uh, the type of attachment. We're mostly talking about children. When we talk about adults who are disconnected from the love they have or disconnected their lives, yes, it is an attachment problem, but more often it comes out of trauma, not who the person is, but what's happened to them and how they had to choose to live and are still living. So um, the way to healthier relationships, you know, I'm going to leave that one to you, Tammy, because everyone asks that question. What is the way out of avoidance and moving toward connection? Being willing to take a step in vulnerability. That's my best answer because it's really easy to remain protected with the Kevlar vest on and go stay away. But if I want to have something different, I have to be willing to take a step into vulnerability. I would really invite you. Troy Love is doing his webinar this week, Wednesday at 930 Pacific time. He's all about attachment, attachment wounds. Dr. Rob talked about there's trauma, there's something there. And I would really invite you to uh, connect on that level too. There's also a podcast um, that, that I do called Sex, Love, and Addiction. And it's not a vanity podcast. Cammy told me we just surpassed 650,000. 600,000, yeah. So. so that many people are curious and trying to understand infidelity and relationships and addiction and all of that. And the reason I bring up the, the podcast is that we have one with a man by the name of Dr. Stan Tatkin. T-A-T-K-I-N, he did one of the, and he is a specialist in attachment and intimacy. And we have a great discussion on that particular podcast about why do we marry? What is the marriage about? What should our commitments be? What is love? What does it mean to love? You know, all of those things. And I think even if you just listen to one of them, I would pick that one up because it really directly relates to your question. And I agree with Tammy, healthy relationships involve transparency. You see, if I'm lying to you, two things, if you don't mind, Tammy. Number one, if I'm lying to you consistently about my behavior, and then you say to me what I always want people to say, you're wonderful. I really care about you. You're so great. For whatever reason, I don't believe them because in my head, I know what I've been doing. And so I have a really good reason to say it's nice that they think that about me, but I don't think that about me because if they knew what I was doing, so we cut ourselves out off from the love that we might get. And so being intimate, what Tammy's talking about is not about sex. It's about revealing yourself. I don't think that our partners, as angry as they are, ever feel closer to us on some level than when we tell them everything we've done and everything. I've had a lot of partners say, I freaking hate everything you said, but I feel relieved. Like, at least I know what's going on. At least I understand. And some of them actually feel closer not about the content of what you did, but the fact that they now know who you are and they're not in the dark anymore. So a good relationship over time is about letting someone fully know who you are. But I want to say this because Tammy will want to make sure I say it, not dumping on them, not going home and saying, okay, the, the, we're going to be intimate and close if I just tell them everything right now, because that's just being a jerk. Because what you're doing is you're making yourself feel better. We can only talk to our spouses about all this when they have support when they have a therapist, when they have a community. Otherwise, you're going to tell them things that might ho- you hope are going to make things better and are going to make you feel better, but ultimately might destroy the person that you've already been hurting. Okay, next question. Do sex addicts deep in addiction have less capacity to love versus sex addicts attempting to abstain in recovery? Yes. Um Because here, look at it this way. What the question is, is do you think somebody who's getting drunk all the time has a, less, a lesser capacity to love me than someone who's sober. 
Do you think somebody who is gambling and gaming and distracting themselves has, a, and they're spending six hours a day on the computer, do you think that person has less of a capacity to love me? Of course, because if I'm my primary emotional and, and intellectual attachment is to my behavior, my sex, my porn, then you always come in second. Um, I do absolutely believe that act, even act, the most active sex addict uh, most often does have intact love, intact values. But here's a good way to look at it. I say this a lot. Um, I've worked with meth addicts who had kids who took their kids' college fund to buy drugs. And you think, God, that's the most narcissistic, awful, pro how could they do that? But when they got sober, because they, they can grow then, when they have worked three jobs to pay that back. So you can see that their values and the meaning of their children is intact, but when their focus is getting to that drug, they don't care about anyone else. It's, they just gotta get to that drug. And so the refocusing on you and the relationship, I mean, that's where the healing is. So Tammy's absolutely right. Well, and one of the things that I wanna clarify though, it takes time, it, it, like, cause I hear attempting to a, abstain and in recovery. So if it's really early on, I don't, I don't know. I don't think you're going to see a real noticeable difference, you know, super early on there. They don't have any of the skills yet. So it's going to take time for everything to clear out and, you know, to get help, to be able to look at the things that they've been doing and to um, kind of reconnect or connect in a very different way. So, so you know, it'll take time. I want to say something about that, Tammy. Just, I was talking to a couple recently and this man is an alcoholic and he's a porn addict he's a sex addict and they've been married a long time and he recently about a year or so ago decided to stop drinking and he says he stopped the affairs of the sexing who knows you know i don't even know if he stopped drinking because addicts pardon me lie but my point is is that when you got on this session his wife said something doesn't feel right to me i know he says he's trying and he said i've stopped drinking i've stopped sexing what's the problem the problem is, is that those are the symptoms. That's the part of the iceberg that's above the water, but the emotional engine that drives addiction requires us to open it up, take some of the pressure out, redo the oil, the spark plugs. You can't, so his belief was if I stop, then everything will get better. And the reality is if you stop, you're still a jerk. It's just, you're a jerk who doesn't do that anymore. If you wanna learn how to be a loving, connected, meaningful, non-hypocritical, intimate uh, uh, person, it has to be evolved in you by people who are already on the way. And that's why we do treatment, by the way. We have a treatment center, not because we're going to fix anyone, but part of what we do is wake them up. Just do you, you say that you love this person, but look what you've been doing. And I said to the spouse, Tammy, and I will say this to all the spouses here, the woman I talked to recently about her husband, I asked her what would be the boundary around which you would take an action, like leave him or move on, or what is your boundary? And she said, if he ever does this again, I'm like, well, how would you know? He lies to you. He's lied to you for years. So she really would never know if he did it again, except she might feel uncomfortable. So how do you know if somebody's really on a path because you don't know anything they're really doing because addicts lie. And the simple thing is, it's not about what an addict is not doing. It's about what they are doing. Did they commit to go to treatment? Did they commit to go to therapy? Did they commit to 12-step meetings? Are they in a men's group? And do they do all of this, not because you're nagging them or you're saying, but because they are showing motivation and commitment. That to me, I cannot judge any addict on their words or their gifts or their kindness or their sweetness because they, they want 
to get me back. They are manipulative, they're seductive. And as good as it may feel in the moment, sometimes in that moment when they're seductive and charming, we forget how much we've been hurt and how deep the damage is. And then when they say they're gonna work on it, they're gonna stop, we get hopeful. But if these men and women had the ability to change themselves because they love you or the marriage or whatever it is, they would have done that already. The people we work with do not have the tools or the skill set or the direction to change their lives. They may want to, but this person, I promise you, is going to go back to drinking and sexing if he isn't already because he doesn't know anything about what's beneath that top of that iceberg. And there's a lot of pressure. By the way, if you don't work on yourself, then addiction is whack-a-mole, which means alcohol pops up, I knock that down. Then work pops up, I knock that down. Then the sex pops up because we are constantly looking for a way to escape. And you can't just stop and say, I did it because something else, I promise you, is gonna come up and be a problem. Eating, you know, whatever that is. So Tammy, thoughts? I don't mean to go on and on. No, that was, I, that was very comprehensive. So thank you. Well, thank you. I've played okay. rock-a-mole a few times. So. <laughs> well, I, I was thinking, because I started asking people and I go, food, gaming, you know, on the, and oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, so so like it is very much, you know, one form of escape or another. So until we address the underlying issues, you know, we, in around 12 step, it's happy, joyous and free. You cannot be happy, joyous and free if you're just constantly running from one acting out form to another, so. And you cannot be happy and joyous and free if you're living a lie. True. Because you know it. Forget what other right. people, you know it. Next question. How long until no empathy becomes a red flag? My husband and I had discovery 17 months ago. He has had multiple relapses since. We had a full disclosure in June of this year. His last relapse was supposedly this past August. I'm suspicious that he was acting out more recent than that. His therapist has said that he thinks my husband is in good recovery because he is being more honest with his feelings and opening up to the guys in the group. I have yet to see and feel any empathy towards me. We spent a lot of time in marriage counseling over the past few months, and I just recently asked to take a break from marriage counseling because it was too painful to keep opening up about my pain and get lackluster responses, if <laughs> any at all. He is so disconnected. It feels like he is listening to a, uh, he is so disconnected that it feels like he is listening to a stranger tell a story that has nothing to do with us um his words have zero emotion behind them and sound empty how long can i keep hearing from his csat that's a for those of you joining therapist. A, a therapist that's got uh, special training um that he is making progress but not seeing any empathy begin that's painful so thank you for sharing that so i guess first of all i want to say we hear this a lot tammy and i which is Basically, um, my spouse has is working on the acting out. I think there seem to be good therapy, good 12-step. I really believe they've stopped, or at least I'm hopeful. But they're still a jerk. And how can it be that they're working so hard to not do something, to not hurt our relationship, to make things better, but they're still difficult, irritable, narcissistic, you know, whatever it is. And we hear this a lot from spouses. And I guess part of what I want to say to you guys is if we were emotionally sophisticated, we wouldn't do the things we do. We're very broken. So progress means what they're doing, not what they're saying. No spouse can rely on, well, I'm doing better and I feel better and I'm not doing these things. And, you know, that's just a, that's this, 
you know, the lips are moving, but are they doing the things that you've been told or you know, or you read about? And by the way, all of those things to your avoidant attachment piece, all of the things that we need to do to get better have to do with connection. Asking people for help, relying on other people, um, showing up for other people, being there for other people, but not in romantic and sexual ways. In many ways, we need to learn how to be a decent human being because we haven't been, you know, and even if someone was nice and kind and sweet, they were also hurting you and letting you down and lying to you. And by the way, a lot of partners parse that sometimes like, no, he really is this person. He's not really that person or she. No, no, no. We are one person. If we do this we and we do that, it's the same person. You can't look at us like we're good and we're bad. I am someone who's deeply split and broken and I can walk forward and hurt you and not think twice about it. And then in the same day, come back home and say, I love you, I care about you. And this is the most important thing because I'm deeply broken. Um, yeah. So, so the, ch uh, the challenge with this one though, is he appears to be getting kudos from his CSAT and, right. um, and the group, the men's group and things like that. But, but right. there's this huge disconnect. Can you talk okay, about that? So here's the question. You asked this so well, Tammy. I, I want you to ask it, but I'll ask it. Who's bringing you that information? Is he saying the therapist said, the group says, or have you heard it from the therapist? Because uh, I would really wonder, you know, addicts like to sing their praise, their own praises all the time. And we certainly like to seduce and manipulate. Uh, she heard from the CSAT. So yeah, I got that impression because of the way it was worded, so. I wanna say something to you about this. So we have a treatment center. It's called Seeking Integrity here in California. I just sat, I think the guys are online today. Um, they usually go to these groups. Yes, so are. I sat with, I don't know how many men, there are six or seven men right now. And I believe that every one of those men who was in a relationship truly loved their partners, or at least most of them. I, I believe that they truly were committed and care. But when they talk about the way they acted in their addiction, it doesn't sound caring at all. It doesn't sound nice at all. And when I meet these men in group, what I see is a kind person, a nice person, a warm person, a sweet, a smart person, a disconnected, but, but then I listen to what they did. And I'm like, oh, this person isn't just this, they're all the rest of that too. So in therapy, we can be moving, we can look like we're working on, remember that you're the person who's closest to him means you're the scariest person to him. And he may be very good at pleasing other people and thinking what they need and being who they want him to be. Maybe he can't fool you and he knows it. I, I can't answer the question. This is, you know, we're not with this person. So we're just throwing out a whole bunch of things. It could be anything from he hasn't really figured out how to be a better person to he's not capable of being a better person. You know, it's just a whole bunch of stuff. I will tell you this though. And I, I make 12 cents off of every book I, I put out there because publishers make 95% of what we sell. But in any case, I wrote a book called Out of the Doghouse, A Relationship Saving Guide for Men Caught Cheating. And the reason I wrote it Out of the Doghouse is I have worked with men for 25 years who cheat. And I have never, ever, ever, really, a thousand men I've worked, I've never met a man who understands the amount of pain that he's caused a partner by cheating or has any idea what to do to make it better flowers, candy, vacations, that ain't it. I love you and I didn't mean to, that ain't it. It's been six months, I haven't done this. Why aren't you over it yet? That ain't it either. So I wrote a book called Out of the Doghouse. I wanted men to understand what it would take to heal their relationship if they wanted to heal it. And throughout that book, I say, 
this is going to be hard. This is not who you want to be. You're not going to want to do this. Really make sure you want to be in this relationship because you want to be into in it. You're going to have a lot of work to do. So I don't have answers for you, but it's a whole range of things. And probably what I would do if I were you is going to some couples therapy where you can both be present and yeah, both they, talk to They did that. And it was that I just recently asked to take a break from marriage counseling because it was too painful to keep opening up about my pain and get lackluster responses. So, well, so then there is the possibility that your husband does not have the capacity to be who you want him to be. I think if in couples therapy, you're seeing a lack of commitment, response, you know, that could be that he's really broken and he doesn't have the ability or he's lots of trauma. It could also be that he's not capable. I mean, this is really what we do. No, not trying to sell anything we do fine, but this is what treatment is about. You know, I will wives and partners are very involved in our process and we sit down. I have sat down with partners and said, I don't think your husband has the capacity for remorse. I don't think this is someone who's really going to get much further than this. And then you spouses get to decide can I tolerate that? Can I live? Because we can really know and see in a few weeks of treatment really where the person is and where they're going to go um, for the most part, because who you are out there is the same person that we see in treatment. So who you are, we get pretty quickly. So this is a, why do people go to treatment? I just want to say that either they're really unable to stop their behavior, despite all the roadblocks they've put in the way, support meetings, 12 step, or their relationship is so broken and they have so few tools to, to fix it that they realize they need more help and they want to save their relationship. Most of the men come to treatment because they realized how important the relationship was and they realized how threatened it is. But somewhere along the way, and I said this to guys time the other day, if they're really healthy in the sense that they're going to get better, they move from I'm here to make a relationship better to I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to be this person anymore. I don't want to be that guy. And I think that's when the real change comes, not when they're focused on controlling and fixing you so that you'll love them again and accept them because their problem is not about you. Their problem is, is their own. And if they get motivated to heal for themselves, whether you stay or not, that's when I see the healing really starting. I agree. Okay, so next question. Do sex addicts very early in recovery learn things in therapy and repeat them like parrots, but not truly understand them yet? For example, if a therapist says your wife is not to blame for her sex issues or you are a sex addict, do the addicts sometimes just repeat things but not fully internalize them? Yeah. Gee, Tammy, what do you think? Yes, and it isn't just sex addicts. It's any addict. That's yeah, like the the I I go to a twelve step program and like you hear the same things over and over again and it sinks in at different levels at different layers. You know, it takes a long time. You, you know, we are trying to learn to do things completely different than the way we did. So so yeah, it's you know yes, we have to hear it hear ourselves say it and then at some point we go oh, i get it and and then can internalize it so yeah especially very early on absolutely thought and by the way we get it and then there this is um let me say something about that tammy yeah because people don't always understand this and i and you're not going to want to hear this this is a lifelong process um, I started my recovery in 1985 i was 26 years old i wanted to act out last week doesn't mean I did it, but this desire to escape 
difficult feelings, difficult circumstances, a fight, money problems. It's so deep in my primitive brain, really imprinted from an early age, that when things are difficult, I need to go there, that fantasy or whatever it is, that that's not going to be unlearned. So we don't ever fix people. What we do is we teach them about the problem and we teach them how to live differently. But it takes, as Tammy said, a very long time to unravel the ways that you, the things you've been doing and, and even more time to understand how you got there. Um, and you addicts, you have to do the work. And you partners, I want to say, and I always say this every week, you did not do anything wrong. You could be the most terrible spouse in the world who makes this man or woman miserable every day and you never have sex with them and you gain 300 pounds and they could leave. They could get a lawyer. They could go play cards. I mean, there are a lot of choices someone can make in an, when they're unhappy in their relationship other than I'm going to go cheat. That's somebody who wants to go cheat and is looking for justification. So there's nothing but a lot of times because we often say, well, if you hadn't done this and you haven't done that, I, you start to believe us. And I want to say to every partner in this room, there is never, nor has there ever been any way that you are responsible for our behavior. And I hope that takes some pressure off of you who are remorseful and thinking, well, if we did this and we did that, mm -mm. And I agree with that 100%. I, I have shared, I shared in my 12-step meeting that you know, COVID has been difficult for me, but what I found was that the very things that I learned very early in recovery are the same things I need to lean into now. And I am, and I have the tools. So it isn't like I completely forgot them or have to relearn them all over again. I have them. And you know, like Dr. Rob was saying, you know, you know, sure, stuff comes up and you go, well, I can choose that or I can choose a different way. So we have the capability of looking at things differently and making different choices because we've learned to do that. So, so I agree. And I hope, I hope they like, ultimately I feel like if we get it, if we get recovery, we know when we're vulnerable and we know how to go do something differently. So, you know, Tammy, it might be useful. I think at this moment to sort of talk about the stages of what people go through in healing. And what, okay. I mean, talking about treatment is a great way because I know what we take people through. So I think there's a natural progression. The first thing we have to do is, is work with denial. We have to first help this per, these people look at what they've done, not as have they've looked at it, because the way they looked at it, let them keep doing it. We have to show them in very black and white terms, the costs to their children, their family, their friends and themselves. And then they get really, really shameful. And they say, I've been an awful person. I hate myself. What's wrong with me? And then we start to bring up how they got to be that way, which is often how they grew up. And we move from, you, are, you think you're a terrible person, but actually you're a broken person. You think that you're not worth being married to, but actually you need to learn how to become a better person. And hopefully they shift from the shame into motivation. And then we start to teach them, what are the signs that you're in trouble? you call this person, you reach out, you look at this thing online. So we teach them what are the signs and symptoms that you're in trouble and not when you've already gotten to the affair partner's house, but how do you track it all the way back to where you first start getting into trouble, that phone call, that thought. And then the last thing we do is we teach people what to do when they're having that thought, 
or that belief other than doing what they usually do, which is going for it. So there really is a rhythm and a process. I don't think it's any different in recovery you know, out in the world. You have to understand the degree to which you've hurt people. You have to work past, that means I'm a bad person to I have a lot of lessons to learn and I've been pretty broken. Then you need to learn um, what is all my acting out? What does that look like? What does that feel like? And what motivates me to do it? And, and then you have to look at how to make it better and how to not do it and do other things instead. And I wanna say one more thing about that. We do not recover by not doing things. I, I really tried to make this impression on that couple today because this man said, well, I stopped drinking and I stopped sexing, so I'm better. It's not about what we don't do, it's about what we do. Do we go to therapy? Do we go to meetings? Do we go to a treatment center? And, and for you spouses, you know you can't believe anything we say. So the only thing you spouses and partners who love us can believe is what we do. Um, words are nice, but actions are what matter because our words haven't meant anything. So, and I said this to the partner recently when she said, well, if he acts out again, then I'm gonna you know, take an action. And I thought, well, you may never know, but what you can say, the boundary you can set is, if I don't see you going to 12-step meetings, if I don't see you going to group, if I don't see you going to therapy, if I don't see you going to treatment, this, these are the markers that a partner is looking for. Not what you're not doing, because who knows what they're not doing or whether they're being, but what are they doing? Are they, anyway, you get it. Recovery is really about the actions we take, not the things we stop. That's a given. Um, anything about this from you, Tammy? Oh, no, I, I, I'm tracking with you and I agree. And it is very challenging. And, and I know a lot of partners are, um, are concerned about if they set those kind of boundaries, is it going to push him into you know, acting out? Because he oh. says he's not doing that. But if I, so if I set that boundary, isn't that going to make him go do that? You know, so, so they feel timid um for lack of a better word about some, actually some do. yeah 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 so yeah but what tammy's you know um saying is that there are times when you partners will ignore your own feelings in order to accommodate this fear that if i get too angry too sad if i threaten abandonment whatever he's gonna or she's gonna write back to their behavior because it's my fault for upsetting them as i said if they're upset if they're struggling they can go to therapists they can take a time out there are a lot of things they can do no one can make your spouse call the affair partner no one can make them look at porn that is their choice and no matter how miserable they are there are many other choices they could make and by the way you partners i say this every week your job is three things one to be angry as angry as you want to, to, to really take care of yourself because you've been through a very hard time, massages, time with friends, you know, really taking care of you. And the third thing you need to do is decide whether you want to be with this person or not. That's your job of the first year. You don't have to help them. You don't have to accommodate them. You don't even need to be nice to them considering what they've done to you. Tammy's heard me say this before. I've often worked with men who go to a 12-step meeting and they got 90 days of sobriety together. And everyone in that meeting says, oh, good for you. I'm so proud of you. It's so great. And then they go to their therapy group. I'm sitting there as a therapist. They hold up their little 90-day. I got 90-day. We give them little chips. And everyone in the group's like, dude, you did great. Or, wow, I'm so proud of you. I'm impressed. And I'm like, wow, this is really, you should hold this and keep it in your pocket. And then they go home to their spouse and they say, look, honey, I got 90 days. And that spouse says, big effing deal. 
you cheated on me for 12 years. Why should I be happy that for 90 days you haven't been with sex workers? And that is correct. It is not the partner's job, even no matter how hard we are working, to turn around and say, oh, honey, you're doing a great job. Your job is to stay with what you feel and what you've been through. Let us validate the addict. Let the people in group, the 12 step, we are there for them. We're a hundred percent in, we run groups and support, but while you're in this situation as a couple, the person who's caused the problem needs to turn to other people than you for their support, men or wh whatever their same gender is. How could I lean into you when uh, you're the one I hurt? I can't. And if I ask you to take care of me on any level, then I'm kind of being abusive because I'm saying, stop feeling what you're feeling and focus on me for a change, but I haven't earned it. So um, yeah, tell me anything else in that direction. No, before? that was, yeah, no, I, yes, yes, yes. So great. take care of you, get support. We have partner support groups, join us. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.